The Cups and Cakes Network presents Inside the Artist Studio. The interview you are about to hear was originally recorded on January 25th, 2020. To find out more about Cups and Cakes, visit them at cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. What you're about to hear may contain filthy language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. I spoke to Hannah Epperson the afternoon before her stunning performance in Winterruption this past January. Hannah's live shows are an ethereal experience, unlike anything you've really seen before, assembled piece by piece with her fiddle, a loop pedal, a Moog synthesizer, and her own voice. These live experiences are reflected in her first two records, in which one half of the songs are constructed true to her live show, while the other half are the same songs but reimagined as these sort of avant-pop compositions, not dissimilar to Radiohead or Bjork. We talked about why she decided to approach her first two records this way, her upbringing in Utah and British Columbia, and the mouth-burning glory of the humble salt and vinegar chip. Here's Hannah Epperson. I am Hannah Epperson. Uh, what what that means exactly um, remains a mystery to this day. Um, I am in Edmonton for some music playing, um, trying to wrap my head around uh, the musician identity. I don't think it's ever going to be totally satisfying. Um, grew up in Vancouver. Uh, was born in Salt Lake City. Oh, okay. Um, it's probably more of an introduction than you wanted. That's Did you just want solid. my name? Ah, you know, either <laughs> or. That's uh, that's a lot to go off of. Um, we're here at McEwen, which is the the kind of arts university campus downtown. Um, we were talking a bit as we were coming coming up here. You you went like I assume you have some formal music training as well, just based on kind of the style that you play, and also I mean the instrument more than anything, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you like go to school? Well, I never went to school for music. I grew up with three big brothers who all played instruments. There was a lot of music in the house, so that was kind of um, the the music thing has always been percolating. I did take private lessons um, sure. on on the violin starting at age five, <laughs> nice and early. I have <laughs> I actually don't remember any period in my life where I didn't play the violin. It's yeah. kind of um, it's just in my, in my bloodstream, I guess. Um, but I, you know, I, I sort of um, ended up moving out of the classical music world in, in those, um, those difficult adolescent years where you don't understand what anything has to do with anything. <clears throat> I've actually met a lot of people at shows who are like, I played violin till I was 13. It's like usually between 13 and 15, I think, yeah. people, people's hormones kick in. <laughs> And classical, like, you know, the grueling classical um, training regimen doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that sort of sort of happened to me. I stopped taking um, private lessons um, when I was halfway through high school, but always was surrounded by music and right. ended up doing a lot of improvisational, you know, exploration. For sure, yeah. Um, since then, it's never, like, it's never disappeared from my life, so. What is it about violin particularly that you think makes people like start that early because i feel like that's a really common story particularly on that instrument yeah um i mean if you actually look at the look at the the makeup of an orchestra 
Um, <laughs> it's like a sea of violins. I think there's probably, um, just statistically, a lot, a lot more people do end up playing For sure. violin. So it's a, it's an obvious starter. Like, it's much smaller than a cello and easier to handle, um, and it, it's easy to schlep around. Um, there's like, you know, so many fiddle tunes that are that people grow up with, and it's a sound that's familiar. So it's probably right. a lot more of an obvious instrument. Like the the violin and violin and piano seem yeah. like the two the two obvious instruments that people um, grow up playing. And in my case, my I had an older brother who played the cello, and I was like, I want to do that, but smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's yeah. kind of how I ended up. Uh, did you grow up around a lot of like uh, like I guess fiddle music as opposed to like violin music, or was it pretty strictly like classical? I grew up with a lot of different kinds of music. For sure. Um, there's certainly a heavy, like heavy um, classical rotation when I was growing up, but we listened to, you know, my parents did a really good job of exposing all of us to a lot of different kinds of music. And I ended up meeting a, a, a cowgirl, bona fide cowgirl. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, here, yeah. So um, she played in a, a live band at these folk dances that my parent, my family would go to. Yeah. And I ended up, um, when I was 10, I ended up meeting up with her once a week and learning fiddle tunes by ear. Okay. So, yeah. you know, on one, one day of the week I'd go do classical training and another day I'd go to her right. janky attic and <laughs> drink like melted chocolate, melted yeah. hot chocolate <laughs> and learn fiddle tunes by ear, which ended up being amazing. Um, ear training, probably right. actually even more, um, important down the road for sure than yeah. like learning how to read music and stuff um so th that that obviously i got huge exposure to like think some of the incredible um appalachian folk tunes and folklore yeah. and culture in the the country so uh how long were you in salt lake city for then like how long until you your family moved here i moved to vancouver when i was 14 okay so I have a lot of a lot of memories still from Salt Lake City. For but, sure, um, all the all the re really gritty coming of age stories are are set in Canada. What what kind of like musical culture exists there? Because I feel like people associate Utah as a whole with like three very specific things. It's like Mormonism, the desert. Um, even though I guess it's not really deserty, but it's deserty. It's, it's deserty, deserty enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like what is the what is the kind of music of that geography? I I actually it's a great question, and I would love to go back to Utah as like a as an adult. <laughs> um, I I do have the sense that Salt Lake City is um, actually has a really vibrant uh, kind of rebellious nature and like a pretty healthy subculture. Right. Um, like you've probably heard of SLC Punk, like yeah. that movie. I think there's like a, a pretty healthy punk scene. And um, okay. also, if you're a touring musician, Salt Lake is sort of like an oasis in a long <laughs> stretch of very arid right. land um, with not a lot of uh, communities to, <laughs> to visit. Yeah. So Salt Lake has actually amazing touring artists that, that stop, that stop oh, through okay. a lot. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, and I remember growing up, there was this amazing free 
concert series called the Twilight. I think it was called the Twilight Concert Series, and it was a free concert series every Thursday night throughout the whole summer. They'd have incredible international music happening at a on an outdoor stage in the middle of downtown Salt Lake City. Like right. all of the streets would get um, closed down for you know to car traffic, yeah, and yeah. thousands of people would go like once a week into the downtown, which was you know. Not something that maybe you would expect of a you know of a place for sure yeah in, in the middle of a um a desert a, a desert in Mormon state but yeah it was it was pretty pretty amazing actually you you would have then I guess um, fallen off of the old like practice wagon or whatever you want to call it like <laughs> taking lessons formally about the same time as that move then right yeah yeah I joined. Right off the bat, when I moved to Vancouver, I joined like the Vancouver Youth Symphony Orchestra. Right. And was just like, man, everything is so, like the classical music world is really competitive, actually. And um, if you have interests outside of classical music, it kind of gets tricky to, you know, if you want to pursue a a career as a, you know, concert, concert violinist, that kind of has to be your life. Yeah, there's kind of not like room. Yeah, and also if you, I'm mean, like I love I love sports. <laughs> I played a lot of sports and yeah. growing up, and I was constantly breaking and spraining fingers. Right. And that's just like you can't a non-starter. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I yeah Vancouver. I ended up meeting a lot of people in in high school. I introduced like myself to a boy band and started playing <laughs> you know yeah, fiddle yeah. like overindulgent fiddlelicks in like a boy <laughs> band and yeah um started doing a lot of kind of weird s- stuff like that when i was in Vancouver but yeah. definitely withdrew from the classical music scene um i feel like it's it's pretty common to for people who start on violin or piano or those kind of more like like foundational instruments i'll call them to like switch to playing something else when you get right. to that point. Right. Um, what do you think made you want to play fiddle in kind of like a pop realm instead mm. of kind of switching to something else that's... I think maybe, um, maybe since I've, I've always felt so comfortable improvising Okay. Yeah. On, on a violin, it's kind of like, it's easier for me to, to play violin than it is to talk. <laughs> Right. You know, even like carrying a conversation is like a little bit more laborious for me than just like listening to music and playing, you know, playing with it. So um, it's a it's the acoustic environment is one that I've always been really comfortable on um, on the violin in. That was a terribly, (laughs) terribly organized sentence. Um, And I guess Um. (laughs) (laughs) case in point. Um, And I think the. Um, just like you're, you know, growing up speaking your primary language, right. it gets a lot harder to learn foreign languages as, as you get older. Yeah. And so I think that the fluency that I have on the violin, you know, to find that on another instrument would be a lot more daunting of a project. Right. Um, now, as, you know, now. So, and it's so, fu- it's, I mean, violin is so fun. I can just strap it to like a skateboarding backpack yeah. and get on my bike and go down to a bonfire right. and you know have my fiddle on my back um so that there was like a, a hyper mobility that i still had with that instrument for sure which has always been important because i'm a very transient kind of flighty person so 
Um, I would imagine most of that kind of improvisational stuff comes from like that folk background, right? Like, or like reels and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely learning songs by ear. For sure. um, Develops, develops a different relationship with the way that you're um, internalizing and understanding music. I I always um, understood, because I, uh, I grew up playing a lot of Irish music. Okay. um, Because my family is all kind of Irish and a lot of that stuff to me seemed like there were kind of like pre-written like jigs and reels and everybody's got kind of a repertoire of like you know 6,000 songs they can play. Right. Just a humble 6,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I never assumed those things to be horribly improvisational but it seems I guess like to some extent they are. Um, is it the type of thing where people like show up and just like jam those things out or? I mean there's definitely like a lot of Irish music jams yeah. like I, I like they I actually know of an amazing community in Vancouver that where that happens yeah. and people will show up and yeah I guess outside of um, Irish stuff specifically but just in terms of um, like non-classical like fiddle playing mm. if you know what I mean um, is that largely improvisational or is it largely like repertoire based? I think there's a lot of people in the in the folk music world especially if you're um, if you're coming out of a certain tradition like Irish Irish music is like there's definitely a, a pretty um, delineated tradition for sure and there's like all the songs that everybody knows and then you know yeah there's the old people the older people who have you know si- easily 6,000 jigs and reels up their sleeve you know um, I don't know if I don't know if I would really um, I don't know if I'd really call those improvisational, but right. it. But people do have a familiarity with the way that those songs are structured and can, you know, start picking the tune out by ear. Right. And that ends up being a really wonderful springboard if you're interested in in doing more improvisational stuff. For sure. But I don't think those traditions are necessarily very improvisational. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's chat a little bit about uh, the two records that you've got out. Sure. Um, just right off the bat, the Amelia and Iris thing is like super interesting to me. So um, if you want to just, I guess, uh, talk about that a little bit. Right. So um, the two the two full records that I've put out, Slow Down and Upsweep, um, are uh, kind of strange bifurcations. Um, there's a side A and a side B. Side A of both records is the Amelia, the Amelia world. Side B of both records is the Iris world. Um, Iris and Amelia were two characters that um, arrived arrived to me during a very manic summer when I was writing a screenplay. Um, they represented these kind of two polar emotional psychic orders <clears throat> in the in the context of the screenplay I was writing, and um, Simultaneously, I was developing, I was kind of developing more intensely my live, my solo live show, which I would now say is representative of the Iris world, Um, and working on a a list of, you know, a set of tracks with a really good friend of mine in LA, who has become a, a pretty mighty producer in the LA kind of pop, pop music world. Um, and I had no, I was feeling a little bit schizoid with these two directions that I was taking music in. Um, and I, I think subconsciously that, that schizophrenic 
feeling came out in the um, exploration of these two characters in the screenplay. So, fast forward a couple months, I was doing a tour um, in Europe and met up with a booking or, or a, a label, and they're like, "Do you have a, do you have a record?" <laughs> and I was like, "I didn't have a record." I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I do. It's like pretty much done." And I just told them the, this concept. I was like, there's yeah. these two characters, Amelia Iris. They represent two um, musical explorations. And I'm putting them on a, I'm, I'm putting them both on a record, you know, representing, um, Amelia representing the kind of more pop, produ pro highly produced sonic exploration, Iris kind of representing live show. And they're like, great, we'd love to hear it. So I finished finished tour and went back to Brooklyn and um, yeah. finished a record in like a week, um, and it was really it was really satisfying. I think it's a frustrating way to release music because it's confusing. People don't know where to book your show because they're like, "What kind of music is this?" <laughs> um, and I definitely that was a really good. Ex uh, really good experiment, <laughs> but I don't think I would do. I don't think I'm gonna continue. I don't think I could continue doing the the bifurcated Sonic worlds. It's made my life. It's made my life very complicated. <laughs> uh, what do you think it is about um, those two characters that make them match up with that type of sound? Mm. Well, um, you know, like that. Like, do you mean the characters from? from the screen world? Yeah, the yeah, I guess um, like even using that naming convention to specify that it is going to sound a certain way, mm. um, I guess, yeah, what is the connection between mm. the way that it sounds and the way that you are naming them, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's very, uh, <laughs> it's very personal. Amelia is, um, I had two very, very strong spirited friends growing up that were both named Amelia and it was a very intense name it like the the name Amelia represents it's these very fierce yeah. female characters in my life for sure yeah um and it's like one of my favorite Joni Mitchell songs uh about Amelia Earhart yeah it's yeah. a total badass um <laughs> kind of up in the you know untethered unbothered by life on the ground for sure um Iris is the name of my dad's mom who I never met and was a very grounded person she was a school teacher came from a long line of very humble like farmers and school teachers I never met her um and it was kind of a a way to honor a a, a part of my lineage that I'm really proud of you know yeah, yeah um I think school teachers have the hardest fucking work in the world and are um are not appreciated yeah. the way that they should be. So that, that, that was, the names that I chose were very personal. For sure. Um, Iris, the music, musically, is very quiet, sincere, um, introspective, um, and minimal approach to, to my music writing. Right. Amelia is very, like, kind of outlandish, ballsy, um, sultry and seductive. Yeah. Um, so that was, those were two, it was very natural to associate those styles of music with those two names. For sure. For personal reasons. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
At, at what point in the kind of like writing of the songs then do you start to kind of translate them into one kind of group or the other? Hmm. Do you want to try asking that question? Yeah, sure. Um, what's, I guess what's so interesting about the way that those records are put together is that um, when I think about the way that they must have been written, it seems like there has to be kind of like uh, the, like the, the center of the idea and then it right. kind of diverges in two right. different paths. Right. Um, how far, I guess, along the writing do you get before it starts to before you start to have to think about how to make this kind of into one right. aesthetic or the other. Right. Um, that's, it is a really interesting question. And I actually just was starting to think about like um, evo different evolutionary theories. <laughs> um, like actually just seeing like Darwinian and Mal like uh, uh, Malthusian chart, <laughs> like flow charts. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if there's a clear answer that I have for that question um all of the songwriting all of the songwriting for for both of these albums has happened so naturally and in such an uncontrived way which I am beginning to like really understand um is not that normal <laughs> yeah um when you're you know, when you're existing in the in the the world of putting out records that need to be sold and you're trying to make a living off of it i had so much um emotional and creative freedom developing these sonic worlds without any pressure to turn them into one you know turn steer them towards an amelia or an iris direction for sure the i mean there were maybe two instances where i had worked on tracks with my friend um AJ and I wanted to put them on these records but I didn't have a, an Irish version there was no connect there was no connection to um, a live a live song that I'd created yeah so I I I don't even know what how you just um, you just suck a little bit of life out of one and spew it back out in in a much more reduced um, environment you know, like uh, when I'm when I'm working with Jay, we have so many, so much equipment and great software and stuff that we can build yeah. very big, thick um, worlds out right. of. And in you know, in recording the Iris versions of these songs, I have basically I've just used two mics and had my violin and a laptop and a you know a good interface, and it's right. like. It's really one of the most amazing things for creativity is like reducing the for things sure, yeah. that you have to work with because it makes you so cre it makes you it forces you to be industrious and that's that's what creativity that's the stuff of creativity yeah is working with what you have so definitely translating things from Amelia into Iris world is more satisfying for me because it's more pr problem solving I guess for sure yeah um, there's less options. <laughs> So you can avoid the, you know, the paralysis of the paralysis of choice. Um, is, is there material that you decided not to do on these records because you felt like it was like either untranslatable between the two sides or just like didn't fit? Nope. No, I don't think I, 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 I don't think I even, it even occurred to me that 
there was a, you know, when I put both of these records out, it didn't even occur to me that there was like a, a sound that wouldn't fit. It was right. just kind of like, this is everything. <laughs> this is all of me. You yeah, know? yeah. Take it or don't, <laughs> you yeah. know? That was kind of, it was a very like punk attitude. I do not make punk music, but it was kind of like a, a very punk, punky attitude. Yeah, for sure. That I don't know if I'll be able to, to um, access as easily as I've gotten older, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's as good a time as any to move on to the kind of second half of things here. Um, let's flip that page. Uh, here we go. Uh, to your coffee. Tea. Okay. Do you have like favorite kind of tea? Yes. Um, I, I, <laughs> that was very lucky. I, yes, I, I do. I love, I love coffee. Um, but I'm, I'm fine without it. Pu'er tea. It's just the best. It's this like, um, uh, you can find it usually in, um, Chinatown. Okay. <laughs> um, it's like a fermented black green tea. Traditionally, it like people like put it in a cave to ferment for like yeah. 10 to a hundred years. <laughs> um, it just tastes like the bottom of a river and I love it. And it's slightly caffeinated, so okay. you, it kind of you can open your eyes and yeah. keep them open for a while, <laughs> but you're not like spazzing out and accidentally like yeah. punching punching things. <laughs> Just kind of the effect that coffee has on me. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel that. Um, <laughs> uh, cake or pie? Cake. Okay. I feel like I always follow up with these, but favorite kind of cake? Chocolate zucchini cake. Okay. It's weird. I don't know why I'm never like a chocolate cake guy. And like chocolate, it's delicious cake. It's delicious. You clearly have not had the chocolate zucchini cake that I am thinking of in my mind <laughs> and that is making my mouth water. Is there like a specific, I, I feel like, um, I was talking with somebody about this the other day, but when you think about baking, um, you always think about the way that your family baked things and mm. that is like the right way. Mm, definitely not in my family. <laughs> my mom, my mom, I, she is just the most amazing person and her baking often has like a very composty vibe because yeah. she's she always tweaks things to, to be like really healthy. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she she always crosses the line from it being like <laughs> healthy and good to just being like, "Mom, this this tastes r really healthy." <laughs> <laughs> um, I get. I know. I just did say that my favorite favorite cake is chocolate zucchini, which is really healthy. It basically is just mostly zucchini. Um, but that is, that's a recipe I think that I, I have followed faithfully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's a good one. Uh, my grandma does the same thing, except not with healthy, just with like a, ah, I need corn syrup. I'll just use maple syrup. And it's like, no, that doesn't work. That's not how that works. <laughs> yeah. People, there's like a whole chemistry aspect yeah. to baking there's like usually a reason that there's qu certain kinds of quantities of things is like there's been a lot of chemists they might not have yeah. a white lab coat but like <laughs> there have been centuries of amazing chemists doing their their quiet creative and scientific work in the kitchens you yeah, know for have sure. some respect no one <laughs> uh last thing you ate um dried mango okay uh a favorite pit stop on tour on this tour? Uh, any tour. Uh, glacial river. Any glacial river. Skinny dipping in any glacial river. So glacial river meaning um, 
just fucking cold. <laughs> uh, radio or podcasts? Mm. I mean, realistically, podcasts. I like the idea of radio better. I think radio is interesting because it's random. Yeah. And well, like, and also that like everyone at the same time that you're listening to it, there's a bunch of other people listening to it at the same time. So there's right. a collective, there's a collective element that is really wonderful to me. Yeah. Podcast is very much more like it kind of fits the whole everyone's atomized and individualistic and ne- tailoring their things to their own needs whenever they need it. Uh, yeah. That I don't like, but I, I mean, fucking love podcasts. <laughs> There's so many good ones. Yeah. What do you, what do you listen to? Um, oh yes. I get to plug podcasts. <laughs> um, there is, um, the dig, which okay. is, a amazing podcast about, um, everything like left leftist politics it's like probably a way better education than anything you could get at any institution in the country um it's based out of providence rhode island okay um this host daniel denver really really recommend it um trapo trap house really super offensive um terrific also political commentary but also social commentary yeah um those are the two that i listen to like religiously okay and then you know we could do a whole nother hour-long interview where i tell <laughs> you about, about podcasts yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh first car never had a car oh, okay uh it's it's funny um the past like few days of interviews that's been like super common hmm. i never get that for some reason i think it's truthfully just people coming from places outside the prairies yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, I mean, like, our, I guess, like, our family had a car until 1994. Okay. It's like a Volvo station wagon. Yeah, yeah. And I just haven't had, uh, our family got rid of their car after that, and then I just have never, never had one. Uh, weirdest job you've ever had? Um, I wish that I had a really good one. I just haven't had weird jobs. I mean, a weird feeling job was doing, um, working as a, a landscaper on my own university campus. Okay. Um, cause there's a lot of, uh, at UBC, there's like the UBC plant ops. Yeah. And all the students are like, they're so creepy. They like drive really slowly around in the trucks and like they never are doing any work. And then I would go, you know, toggle between being a really int- serious student and yeah being one of the people in the plant ops <laughs> trucks but the job itself wasn't that weird yeah. yeah uh if you could open for any band or artist who would you pick if i say them all in one breath can it just count as one <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i mean bjork is like bjork for sure uh thundercat oh yeah um umo uh Oh, there's so many that are just flooding my mind. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> uh, if you could uh, build kind of like a fantasy lineup of bands and give yourself a ticket to go see them, who would you pick? Um, Bjork. <laughs> Thundercat. Uh, Thundercat. Um, Radiohead. Tame Impala. Uh, Unknown Mortal, Mortal Orchestra. Um... Oh my gosh, this is such a hard question because it's just like 
I just see like a horizon of so yeah. many artists right now. <laughs> and a lot of them are like friend like crazily a lot of them are friends. Yeah, yeah. Which is an amazing feeling. <laughs> uh favorite month of the year. October. Good pick. Um out of curiosity, why October? Um it's the it's uh it's the time when everything is like starting to die and it makes me feel really thankful to be alive for sure yeah um i also like growing up in utah you it's insufferably hot and right. october was the first month where you could like run around and not feel like you're gonna pass out and just the color i mean the colors are yeah yeah offensive it's like <laughs> i can't believe that this happens every year yeah um are there yeah. fairly long falls there or yeah. is it pretty compressed I've, I don't know anymore. Everything's changing. Have you? Ha, yeah. It's changing so much. But have you been? Have you been back much to Utah since? Nope. No, I haven't. That's interesting too. Yeah. I, all our fam. I mean, yeah. I don't have family there. I somehow didn't stay close friends with people. I feel like that's a hard age to it's like, especially to like, um, even like when I was like 13 or 14 years old um digital stuff had not really evolved to the point where i could easily keep in touch with like pals totally, at that age if totally. i moved right yeah yeah but i would love to go back utah's an incredible state actually and yeah. salt lake's a really cool city i've i've went through once when i was like 10 years old i like barely remember it yeah. but it seems very cool yeah there's a lot of cool stuff going on there and the, the southern part of that state is otherworldly where where is Salt Lake like kind of in the geography of the state? It's sort of like mid, um, like two thirds of the way up. Okay. And kind of in the middle. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Probably I think... a little. Yeah, maybe even a tiny bit farther up. But. Oh, okay. Candy or chips? Chips. Favorite kind of chips? Um. Salt and vinegar. Though they just rip my mouth. Salt and vinegar chips just destroy my mouth. But. Yeah. I get that. They're really good. <laughs> yeah. If you if if something causes so much destruction and you keep doing it, it's got to be it's got to be good, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about chips, right? We're talking yeah. about chips. <laughs> <laughs> yes, chips. Let's just, only chips. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh I probably know the answer to this, but video games or board games or sports? Sports. What, so I guess, yeah, what kind of sports do you play then? Um, I like anything that is, um, I love ultimate frisbee. I played, I have played a lot of that. Uh, I played for my college and for Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I know you have some yeah. uh, experience. With it's that. a wonderful, it's a wonderful combination of being like intensely physically demanding, um, having gotten to like a in it like it's uh it's played at a very very high level yeah but there's still um there's still like a a culture of you know there's still the spirit of of the game award that's given out at, right. at competitions which for me is like it's the best of all the worlds <laughs> yeah um i love like paddle sports i love volleyball i love j anything that's like a solo sport yeah yeah um yeah Board games, I can't. Board games, like, <laughs> make me un unwell. Yeah. Because you have no physical outlet for all of the um, 
intensity of competition. So For sure, I can't, yeah, yeah. I can't, uh, I can't play board games. Uh, do you enjoy then those sports as like spectator sports as well, or is it mostly as like um, as a participant in them? I have such a hard time watching sports because I it makes me want to play too much. Yeah, I get I just like <laughs> I, wanna, I need to be out there running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is there an album that spurred your love of music? Mm, I mean, to I just have been a, a swirl in music for my whole life. It's hard to put my finger on one, but I I think yeah, Bjork like Bjork and the Cranberries were like two of my my two first artists that I bought CDs. Whose whose CDs I bought for sure in person. So one of those. Yeah, maybe like um, the cram. I think the Cranberries. Uh, What's it called? Everyone else is doing it, so why can't I? Oh yeah. I think that's the first album I bought. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. <laughs> I just honestly, I, I don't know it at all. Yeah. It's it's that's one of those bands where it's like. Um, You've heard of them, but it's no, yeah yeah. And, and the number of people that have said like you should listen to this, and then I just falls down a list yeah. somewhere. There's so much good music to listen to. to. It's, it's overwhelming yeah, in it many is. ways. It is. It is. Um, if you could get lunch with anybody living or dead just kind of have a chat like hannah arendt okay i recognize that name she um was a ah she is like an amazing um social political theorist okay who um wrote a lot in the um I mean, one of her one of her most important books was about the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who was an orchestrator of the shipment of Jews to concentration camps. Gotcha. They found him when he was like 68 in Argentina, and yeah. she went to his trials. And um, a lot of very a lot of people rightly wanted to have some sort of moment of vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and being like pe- people for so many decades had wanted to punish someone for the atrocities yeah yeah and hannah arendt wrote a book um uh about the trials and her her thesis was basically like adolf eichmann is not a he's not an evil man he's just incredibly um he incredibly dim-witted right and the to to think that the level of evil that we saw in like the Holocaust can be attributable to like an evil mastermind is right. is going to make it impossible for any of us to prevent that kind of thing from happening again because it's institutional violence. It's it's the violence of a bureaucracy of being able to delude yourself into thinking that you're just doing your job, which is what this guy, you know. Yeah. Obviously, he shouldn't be let off the hook, but uh, Hannah Arendt argued like. Um, the for you know the book was called the banality of evil right um, that sounds familiar as well yeah and i think it's like so so topical right now for sure uh, like in the states well, yeah. people just being like but i'm just doing my job and it's like you're that's what everyone in germany was saying you yeah. know and i i, I that she's somebody that i would love to talk to because i think about this stuff all the time for so. sure well yeah i guess it's not like um it is easy i think especially looking at the states to imagine that Trump is like an evil dude 
and once he is gone that problem is fixed nope yeah but he's like an idiot as well yes and it's just kind of surrounded by people yes. who can there's manipulate a, that there's a lot of conditions that led to trump being in power For that sure. we need to we need to <laughs> um have them the maturity to um look at in the face you know right and the critical thinking skills <laughs> to understand all of the conditions that have led have led to what we're the pickle that we're in right now yeah i guess yeah because you're i would imagine still a citizen for the states too yep. yeah yeah Primary. i've been living there the last you know four right years, yeah you're so. in new york yeah yeah Primaries coming up oh yeah <laughs> boy i i this is tangential but um pretty politic heavy it's just so much stress oh my god oh yeah i mean i've been i'm a member of the democratic socialists of america okay. that have kind of in the last two years have decided a lot of the f the focus of that organization wants to be in electoral work yeah um you know like i knocked on doors for alexandria ocasio-cortez and you know that was yeah. like part of my uh, uh seminal um part of my own politicization yeah um well, yeah because she's close to your district i would guess yep yeah um i i was part of the brooklyn dsa so she was a member of that right that chapter so um and so i'm i've been doing a lot of bernie <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot of bernie uh campaigning even from the road like sending using the burn app yeah uh texting <laughs> everyone that i know and hardly know that's in my phone being like hey this is weird but <laughs> what are your feelings <laughs> on uh, the state of the world yeah. and also bernie sanders so. I, yeah, I, uh, I think it's both kind of the great thing about the states and the bad thing about the states um, that somebody like, yeah, like Bernie um, can make people in other places in the world feel some hope about that. Yeah. Because generally, I think if the states does something, everybody else kind of follows, um, which is also the bad part about the states. Yeah. But uh, last question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you have any uh, like local recommendations for music from uh, your neck of the woods? Uh, mm. um, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, probably everyone's heard of Big Thief, but they're they're some good friends, and also from Brooklyn. Um, there's a great band called, um, actually, a really good friend of mine just put out a record in this last year under his name Toth. His name's Alex Toth. T-O-T-H okay. um, It's called uh, Practice Magic and Seek Professional Help When Necessary It's a great record It's <laughs> um, a great title It's a great title <laughs> He's a wonderful, wonderful human um, Oh my god, there's so many good Wilder Maker is another great band um, uh, Also, I mean, I was, I, I've just relocated to Vancouver and okay. some really good friends just put out a record, We Are the City, um, just put out their R.I.P. record, which I haven't listened to, but I'm sure it's going to be amazing. For sure. Um, that's, yeah, those are the things that are right on the top of my mind. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of the old interview here. Uh, we normally end things off by playing a track. Um, is there something that you would want to play um, for the end of the show? And I guess you want to tell us a bit about it? Um, I guess probably... 40 numbers um the iris version yeah for sure um i wrote that song there was a the 
first time I sat down with the intention of writing a love song. Okay. And I I write mostly about the apocalypse. <laughs> it's just a really prevalent theme for me. Um, 40 Numbers was like, okay, today is the day I'm writing a love song. So I, I plugged in... Um, the name of a guy I was seeing into like a binary code translator. Yeah. Which is like, why, I don't know <laughs> why that's a starting place for a love song. Yeah. And I think like eight hours later, I was reading about like copper mining in Bolivia. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so that, that, uh, that song has, has the full spectrum <laughs> um, <laughs> experience. The, it, it charts the whole uh, territory from trying to talk about a lover to... Um, the uh, how complicit we all are in the destruction of the world. Yeah. You know, we all depend on in in modern love. There's so much uh, text texting and uh, reliance on computers and all yeah. of that stuff requires mining of horrible materials. Right. So um, yet another apocalyptic tune, <laughs> um, but but one of one of my favorite uh, arrangements that i've that i've done for sure that that one's right in the middle right the two versions are back to back i, I can't even remember i can't <laughs> even remember you'll find it i'll find it you'll find one version <laughs> perfect well thanks so much for coming in it's like a pleasure chatting to you yeah uh, likewise chatting with you um this is 40 numbers thanks
Cups and Cakes Presents is produced by Sean Newton. The featured track was played with permission from Hannah Epperson. Undercurrents from Atlantis Jazz Ensemble's album Oceanic Suite is the background music throughout the entire episode. Oceanic Suite is available through Ottawa's Marlowe Records. Find out more at marlowrecords.com. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's Cups the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.